So I was thinking, what if success wasn't always guaranteed? That was the case for my good friend Tyler Chaldeon, a Rice grad. Tyler not only obtained his bachelor's degree, but he stayed long enough to get his master's as well. You would think with double the degrees, he'd have double the job prospects come graduation. Unfortunately, that was not the case, as Tyler spent almost a year looking for his first job after graduation. On my call with Tyler, we talk about what life was like at Rice, his nine-month hiatus, a couple of different books, and how he lives a healthy life today. I do have to warn you that the call was recorded via the internet, so I do apologize for any choppiness or issues with quality. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Basil. How's it going, man? It's going. It's going well. Thank you again for coming on to the show and just letting me interview you. I really appreciate it. Before we start, for those out there who don't know who you are or what you do, can you just give a little bit background on yourself? Sure, sure. So uh, my name's Tyler Taldon. Went to school with Basil back at Berkeley Prep all the way from middle school. Uh, we parted ways and I went to Rice and now I'm in Silicon Valley working for SurveyMonkey after uh, picking up an undergrad and graduate degree in electrical engineering. So I know with SurveyMonkey, congrats, you guys just went public. Yeah, it was absolutely wild, man. I uh, started September 24th and that was a Monday, right? And so Monday we get onboarded, we get to meet everyone, everyone's got these big, big smiles, and we think it's just for us. Uh, but it was almost like they were keeping a secret. And then on Tuesday, we see not from our coworkers, not from our peers, but from the news agencies that were going public. And then on Wednesday, they ask us to show up at 5.30 a.m. because we're on the West Coast, and the opening bell is on the East Coast, and our CEO is the one who rings it. So they had us all get together at 5.30 a.m., champagne, balloons, the, the whole shindig, uh, in order to uh, break open this new chapter in the company. Wow. That, that must be exciting. I work for a publicly traded company now, and I could only imagine if, like, the first three days <laughs> I was there, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, like, come celebrate and have this giant party because, you know, it's a big deal to go public. Right. It, I, was, I was so happy. It was truly a blessing. But then you look around and everyone's like, we did it. We finally made it. And you're just like, I'm just showing up right here at the end for the party. So that part was a little bit holly. The idea of the journey coming to fruition was a little bit hollow, but the party was still fun. People, people drinking champagne at 6 a.m. was still fun. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm guessing you had stock options before then because they're like hey like you know as an incentive we you know give all of our employees stock options when they're privately traded does that translate over like how does that work <laughs> yeah yeah i've definitely i don't know anything about the stock market uh, <laughs> right but they did they did give me some stock options and i've continued to purchase uh stock even afterwards despite 
the uh, current affairs in the stock stock exchange with with tech taking a huge huge beating these last couple months it's primarily stayed right around its ipo point so i believe in the company and uh i'm just happy to be quote you know saving by by investing in the in the stock market it's fair it's related to working at survey monkey and kind of just go, stepping back um you yeah. go to rice for you know not just four years you know getting your undergrad but you were there for what five years Five whole years. Yep. Yeah. I was able to uh, work hard a little bit during the undergrad and take the master's in just a year, do a professional master's, no thesis. Definitely couldn't made it another year, man. It uh, <laughs> certainly would caution other people from uh, jumping straight into to that master's or PhD program without taking a little bit of a gap, a little bit of a, a breather. Really? Okay. How was that a whole experience? Was it just like one day you wake up and you're like, I'm not an undergrad anymore or cause I feel like that's a grind. Like you kind of said. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we both had uh, extremely transformative and enjoyable undergrad experiences for me. I, I absolutely loved rice as undergrad. Um, but the culture itself was changing a little bit and for the worse, unfortunately, because as the world gets a little bit more connected and a little bit more competitive and more and more students want the best uh, college available. Rice is having to compete with like top 10 universities and is sort of transforming itself from this magical Hogwarts type place to your general run-of-the-mill type Ivy League kind of school. And so it was sad to see that transformation take place over the four years. And then by the time that I became a master's student there, uh, almost all the magic had disappeared. So it was a slow, like becoming adult kind of transition mirrored by the university a little bit. Wow. You mentioned Ivy League when you're talking about like the run of the mill kind of education. I don't know about you growing up, but I know for me, like that's all my family focused on. That's whatever all my friends focused on was like, oh, you have to get that Ivy League education. You have to you have to work hard to get into your Harvards, your Yales. Um, and so I, you know, when I got into Penn, that was a crazy time for me. But I think that going to Penn and experiencing it and going back over it now, I'm like, yeah, it was, it was great. I think educationally wise, I got to sit there with some of the, you know, some of the coolest professors in my field who were doing really amazing stuff. But the actual student aspect. And I think that's what you're kind of getting at, at how mm-hmm. the university treats its students and how the university connects with the students. Yeah. It wasn't really there. It kind of was just, if you're not there doing, for professors, if you're not there, there doing research, they really didn't care that much about you from a student connectivity standpoint. Mm. There were people that I would see that I recognize people and they would recognize me and like for four years we'd pass each other on <laughs> the walk just give them and give a nod never i've never introduced myself um so as a community i i feel like there's you know rice at least what i've been told uh, had a very vibrant community yeah yeah definitely well i i kind of was the a little bit the opposite uh which is why it was was hard for me to see it turn towards what you were kind of talking about because it was rice's policy pretty much was to recruit really smart but caring diverse and uniquely driven people get them into a big old fishbowl 
and then randomly distribute them across 11 different dormitories and then paint each one of these dormitories in a certain way with a certain culture, with a certain background and different stories and traditions so that even though it was randomly distributed across these 11 colleges, each one kind of had a, a character like, like Harry Potter. Like there was definitely a Hufflepuff house. There was definitely, you could make the argument that there were two Slytherins across campus. <laughs> Everyone wanted to be Gryffindor. No one, some people wanted to be Ravenclaw, but like, you, you get what I'm saying. Each, yeah. each dormitory, despite being a random distribution of the student population, became what its image was just because that's the environment you're forced in. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So which one were you in? Yeah, we were, I, everyone, wants, everyone wants to be the Gryffindor, but to be honest, the, uh, the university was pretty much, I guess, segregated is the right word for it, segregated between North colleges and South colleges. And within the South colleges, we were the party college, but we were also by far the ugliest college to look at. Um, because in the it was built in the 19 late 1960s when the Vietnam draft was happening and so they constructed a brick cage around the dormitory pretty much from floor 2 through floor 5 because students were protesting and throwing couches and chairs and whatever they could get their hands off off the balcony in protest so the elevator to our dormitory only goes up to floor five. And, and I and I actually lived on floor six. My oh, wow. Year. Yeah. So it, and it's, and um, our student government was sort of communist based. It, it's, it's basically what I'm trying to get at is that each one of these dormitories has a very, very deep cultural uh, history that you, because you grow up and you develop so much in that environment, it definitely shapes you and, and how you carry yourself in college. Wow from there, from college, do you feel like getting into a, a little bit of your story, you kind of graduate and then you're like, all right, I'm ready to enter the world and enter mm -hmm. the job force and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. And the job force or, you know, the, the job market, as they say, was like, no, wait a year. And so like, <laughs> do you feel like given that time period that you had to, you know, you do your master's, you're kind of still in that environment. Do you mm -hmm. feel that that helped or hindered you as a person and, and kind of your journey so far? Looking back on that year, I absolutely have no regrets. It was not what I planned. Looking back, I definitely would have realized how much easier it is to find a job while in college, while you still have all those contacts and opportunities and people coming to you, even as a master's student. When you're out here on your own and you don't necessarily know exactly how to move forward, it, it's a lot tougher. But looking back, uh, I, I don't regret it at all. And versus, just to be brutally honest, it was not as productive as it should have been of a year. It was more uh, a waiting period to just try and reflect and process the changes that had occurred in my life and in order to have just take time to to heal certain areas just everyone goes through different things in their lives at different times and it's not all, not always that you have an opportunity to to sit back and to reflect and to heal so i i really do appreciate that year that i had talking about 
reflection. I know for me, the pressure of getting a job right out of college was very right. real. For those who don't know, you know, my family has been very fortunate um, or certain me- members of my family have been very fortunate to be successful. And so the kind of the way they, the pressure they put on me was you get a job or you don't come back here, but, mm. but dude, I'm not helping you out right now. Um, and so, it, yeah, which is, you know, some people would see that as like harsh or whatnot. Um, I think there's other that would say like tough love. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, I had to deal with that pressure, you know? And so going from that, I didn't really proactively look for employment until it was kind of, I would say, looking back on it too late, just because I was like, do I want to stay in Philadelphia? Do I want to go back home to Florida? Do I want to go somewhere else and try to figure that out? And so I think I had like three months of reflection of like where I want to do. And that kind of put me in a position where I kind of took what was there. Whereas I feel like given that fact that you had that year, you not only got to think about what you want to do, but maybe kind of the kind of impact you want to make in the world and you know, what kind of person you are, what are your values? So I think if I had a chance to like get some time between when I graduated, I, I definitely would appreciate that. Yeah. Th- thanks for sharing, Basil. Um, I think the amount of time is not necessarily as important as, as how you spend it. I just think that perhaps with more time than the three months that you had, you would have had even more time to, to open up your scope even wider and perhaps identify some ma- major shifts. Because would you say that you're still on the path that was lined up for you? I can't say that now. I think I know what I'm doing right now for myself is kind of putting down the foundation for future success because I kind of went and just kind of got a job and and didn't really think about it. And then got a second job because I didn't, wasn't doing things that I liked in that first job. Um, Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, now I'm like in a place where, okay, I'm playing to some of my strengths. Now I'm thinking about, is this the career path that I want to be on? Am I doing the things that align with my values? And Mm -hmm. so I, I do agree with you, you know, just having, a more productive sense of that time probably would have, would have helped, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's different for everybody. I think it seems that year kind of paid off for you. Would you agree? Or you're kind of still assessing now? I absolutely think that without that year, I couldn't have taken such a big step back from the, the path that I was on, which was basically being behind a computer as a, as a coder in, in Silicon Valley, which isn't the worst thing, but it's just not me really. I love talking to people too much and to be just compared to others based upon my coding output. Uh, It's not where my strengths are, as you said. And uh, I wanted to tap your brain into how do you feel about this idea of symbiotic? Your job should be where your strengths are and your your job should be improving your strengths, which is what makes you a better person. And it's just sort of a symbiotic relationship between you and your job and becoming a better person. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think for me, uh, what I've read, uh, there's people you know who really hammer down on on playing to your strengths. There, I think I was reading like Harvard Business Review, and they were saying that more people who are end up being successful are usually focusing on their strengths 
Um, I, I know a couple books that are a couple uh, writers, Cal Newport, who he argues that the follow your passion, flipping it mm-hmm. on his head of, you know, maybe not your strengths, but your passion is bullshit. And you really should look at what you can do and just put a lot of time into those. And then those become your strengths and that tends to lead to your passions. And so that's an interesting you know, way to look at it. Whereas for me now where I'm at is, is kind of like, I'm still figuring out my strengths. I'm still doing an assessment of what am I good at? I'm still asking people like, Hey, what do you see from me? You know? And I think that takes a lot of humility to take that step back and ask yeah. other people because that's scary because, you know, people are going to say some, some crazy stuff like, I don't know, right. like you're an asshole and like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. They're going to say stuff that you're probably not going to agree with, but um, that, that's how you figure out who you are. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question per se. Oh, absolutely, but, man. I, I work in feedback now. Uh, we are, as a, as a survey company, that's kind of what we do. We, we get people's responses and a common saying around the office is all feedback is good feedback. You just got to be tough enough to, to take it. It's a, it's a gift really. So that, that shows a little bit about who you are as a, as a person that you're open to it, but just gathering data, just, uh, just being able to acquire those responses and to be able to process them and, and look, look, gather them as a whole and, and analyze them. That's an incredibly valuable way to have data driven insights into your own life. I think that's a, a great way to move forward. I definitely think I'm trying to get better at taking feedback. That has not always been one of my, one of my strengths, but then it kind of gets, gets into that dual your strengths or, or not. Um, great. So I guess my question going off of what you're talking about with feedback and everything you came up with or not came up with, but you know, we, we were talking earlier and you sent me, uh, kind of, I w- I call it manifesto. Um, I'm sure you wouldn't necessarily refer to that, but um, <laughs> I like it. It makes it sound dramatic. <laughs> yeah, but I, it I is kind of it is kind of dramatic. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you wrote this this document detailing just some some really deep thoughts, to be honest, on life and just kind of your you know. I think you literally called it your life principles. Was that built out of that reflection period, or was that built from when you got? you know, or when you were kind of, all right, I'm, I'm in this new job. Um, it's about feedback and taking that feedback from life that you're getting or like, where did that come from? Uh, that's a, that's an interesting, it definitely did not come from the job. That was me. I, I'm the type of guy that without a, a flagpole at the top of the mountain, without a light at the end of the tunnel, I just can't do anything. And I think people in general are incredibly goal driven, but without a purpose, as you said, you, you tried one job, didn't saw things that you didn't like about it. You tried another job, saw things you didn't like. And I had the luxury to just dodge that sort of scramble and do it on a more philosophical level. And so what happened was that nine months out of my year were honestly not productive at all. I, I didn't change in the slightest, and I don't think I necessarily grew towards even getting closer to that perfect first job during that nine month period. But then uh, because it had been so long and my family was coming to visit me out in San Francisco, there was a girl that I wanted to impress and 
it just seemed like time to realize that the bottom was past me and that it's all up from there. I started to make significant changes to my life. And that included just, as you said, you know, being productive with your days, working out, getting some sunshine, reading books. There was a very transformative book that I read, which might have crossed your radar, called Infinite Jest. Have you ever heard of that one, Basil? No, I have not, actually. Who, who wrote that? It's by, uh, I wish I could remember his name right now. He, it's his magnum opus. I'm looking it up right now. It's his magnum opus. It's over a thousand pages. And unfortunately, the author, David Foster Wallace, he ended up killing himself after he wrote it because he saw it through life a little bit too sharply, I would say. And without taking life at face value at times, it becomes a little too harsh. So something that this book showed me resulted in a lot of those life principles. Others are from more philosophical kind of standpoints, but uh, those life principles took me about a month just sitting at my computer, sober as hell, all day, eating, just trying to nail them down. And I think it was an incredibly valuable time of my life. And I, I, I wish everyone had the luxury of having that time in order to figure out what does drive you and and really nail it out in clear, concise ways that are so fundamental and true to you that you feel comfortable enough sharing it with people. Going off of that, in terms of like time to reflect, some people, if you have the privilege to, I guess not privilege, but if you have the opportunity or you find yourself in in a place where, hey, you don't have to necessarily make ends meet for, you know, three months, six months, a year, uh, mm-hmm. however long, really. And you have that space to kind of play around and, and think more deeply about your life and everything. Um, I think, I definitely think it's worth it. The three months where I wasn't working, it definitely, I definitely didn't use it to my advantage. I used it more in a, a sense for relationships and being around people that I appreciate it, which isn't a bad thing, but definitely some things that I've instituted now because I don't really get that space now is weekly. I do like a little review of myself and, and while it, most of it is going over what I have to do that week, it also is me reviewing my goals. So projects that I have standing and just kind of going in and checking, am I doing the things that I said at beginning of 2018 or the things I value or halfway through 2018, I said, mm. Mm-hmm. This is good. That's not good. All right. And I, but, you know, I do agree. Um, additionally, like, if you get into the weeds too much with life, it can definitely wear you down. A lot of different things that I, I think it's a whole nother podcast if you just kind of sit here and talk about, you know, what's going on in the world. Not getting mm-hmm. too political, but just there's so many different things that are going on. And I, I think sometimes you have right. to remove yourself from that. Did you find, I guess, while you were writing this, did you find yourself saying like, whoa, wait a second, let me, let me step back? Or did you have to lean into it even more to focus and really harness what you were looking for out of that exercise? It was definitely a little bit of both. I was trying to chew on even larger topics than, than what I wrote down. Just looking at my uh, headings across the, the life principles, I've got finding meaning, life itself, understanding self, self self-improvement, 
social interactions and seeking transcendence, which means becoming a better person than, than you really should be. You, you try and sort of transcend your limitations. That, those are just the first couple of topics. And I was trying to chew on bigger topics like, like God and that, that, those sort of hierarching like God and why are we here and those sort of things. And by putting those even bigger whys to the side and focusing on how to improve yourself and what you want out of life and how, what, how in your own capacity can you help others and improve others' lives, by starting there, I was able to really come up with some core principles that I thought uh, could really fuel me. I, I, we both agree that stuff changes, and I'm glad that you check up on your goals on a weekly basis. And those goals might not always be true. But I really do believe that what I found should be able to power me for the next several years. Uh, so I think that that's an incredibly good return on investment. Uh, a couple months for, for several years of fuel burning is, is a great trade. You know, it's funny that you, you talk about transcendence, especially in the, the document. Like in one of the first things you mentioned is, is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And so for... Anyone out there who isn't, you know, familiar Maslow's hierarchy of needs, pulling out that psychology degree right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really the fact that you know this this guy Maslow, he was just like, hey, all humans have a set of needs on the very basic level. It's you know, like you wrote here, it's physiological. So, am I getting food? Am I sleeping right? All that jazz. All your basic, as some might say, primal needs. Then you build up a little bit and it's the next one, safety. Uh, and of course, that's just saying like, hey, am I safe? Do I, am I threatened? And so going through them, safety, what social esteem, self-actualization, and it ends with transcendence. And that's really, you know, when you self-actualize and you're, you figure out who you are and, and kind of where your purpose in life is and you fulfill that. So it's interesting going through that. Do you feel like A, where do you feel like you are? And then I guess B, do you feel like you'll ever get to that self-actualization part? Or is this more aspirational where you're saying, I'll die trying, but at least I'll get pretty close? Uh, that's a great question. I honestly don't know if, uh, but I absolutely should die trying. That's kind of the goal, right? Is to is to be so dedicated for the things that you believe in that you would die for them. I think that when I was at, during my nine month period, I was just at the three, just socially uh, above water. I was still able to hang out with friends, socialize with family, work as a functioning human being in society, but I didn't quite yet have esteem. I didn't respect myself, which is something that you fundamentally need moving forward or else if you don't respect yourself, if you don't value your own future, how do you take steps forward? And so that was a fundamental switch in my, my year off is that I realized the importance, not of just existing, but the idea of fighting for the good fight, of the idea of trying, the idea of uh, respecting yourself. And uh, because the opposite is that you fall prey to nothingness. You, you, if you, as soon as you start picking... Uh, you know what, I don't care, or it doesn't matter to me, or uh, does this really matter? Uh, when you start believing in that side of the equation, 
I wanted to explore that and see if life was easier without caring. But to be honest, it's a hell of a lot darker. There's no passion. There's no motivation there. And so you have to fundamentally choose self over, over nothingness, which I think comes with the esteem. And so now um, I would say I'm above that and, and in the path towards self-actualization. There's still a lot of building that I need to take me from these ideas that I have to actually practicing them from talking the talk to walking the walk. I still have a lot of growth there. And so that's what I'm trying to do. You know, it's, it's awesome that we're having a podcast. I think this is so cool, but to, to transform it from just words to actions is, is absolutely my next step. Fair. Looking outside of the, you know, the document, and everything you wrote, like, are you thinking about turning this into maybe a book. I don't know if I don't want to ruin any of your plans. When I was reading, I was like, you know, if you went back and elaborated on a lot of this stuff, I'm like, this is a great book. This is just, you know, in terms of your ideas about all that, I would love to read something like that. Just saying. So I don't know what your plans are, but I appreciate that. If you do love the ideas, I wish it wasn't so rooted in this infinite jest book, but they are incredibly tied to this book. And it is an incredible undertaking at over I think it's over 1300 pages and it's a, not an easy read, but I, I hate to play these all off as my own ideas because while some of them are, for instance, the idea, uh, no, I, a lot of these are driven off of that, that book. So I would highly recommend if you are, it seems silly, but to me, if you are at that cusp between 20 and 25 where life is hitting you and you don't necessarily know why or how not not even how but just why to move forward i think it's a great book to put things in perspective and to to see the reason to even try okay i'm definitely gonna add that to my my reading list i guess this year i fell a little not a little bit short i felt a good deal short against my goals for books just because so i moved um so how i i used to read at least was i took the train into work every day and so I would, from the minute that I walked out of my home to when I got to the door of my work, I read. I just would read a book and I'd read it on the train. I'd walk around reading the same way that you see people on their phone reading mm-hmm. like something. I just did that with a book because I'm like, well, I could have my phone, but I might as well just get this book through and read that. But anyway, long story short, all I'm saying is I'm definitely going to try and pick that up again and probably with this book with the the size of that i'll definitely need some help (laughs) Um, not something not something that you're gonna want to walk around with and read unfortunately it's oh really oh it's okay it's it's just both heavy in its content and its weight then never mind i'll i'll plan out some some days so you wrote here you truly important things in your life ever happened to you because you engineered it that way and I think that's really funny that you put it in there. You know, for me, people talk a lot about goal setting and and a lot about, you know, having a vision for your life and setting out what you want to do in your life so you can manifest it. There's a book I, or rather a couple books I've read uh, by this author, Jensen Saro. Um, And, you know, you are a badass if you haven't heard of her series. And she talks a lot about manifesting things and, and saying, look, like you want to achieve these things, think about them, manifest them, and then go for them. And so I think this, that thought almost directly rivals that 
So mm-hmm. I just kind of want you to uh, expand on that and, and just lend some some credence to that. Well, I absolutely uh, agree with what she just said because I do believe in the power of belief and goal setting. Honestly, it could just be because I've had an incredibly privileged life, but if I've ever truly set my mind to something, done everything in my power to do it, usually you end up getting something pretty close, something similar to what you imagine manifests itself. And if it doesn't, it's it's a lesson and you chalk it up to that. But honestly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what, what your experience in life has been as well. But I, I truly do believe that if you dedicate everything you've got towards something that you you can achieve it what my sentence kind of what what my thoughts kind of were more about with that sentence is the idea of of all the things outside of your control uh that you that you don't necessarily prepare for the idea of the perfect woman walking into your life and uh the sort of love at first sight thing uh which for 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 several of my uh couples that are about to get married in in my life seems to be a common thread in their stories it's not just something reserved for for movies or or books this idea that they know from the first moment kind of that that they're a very special special pair uh that's that's one thing that you don't necessarily engineer in your life um and for instance for me the uh, the entire 20 year school arc preparing for an engineering career uh that's something that i I tried to construct and then when i finally got there i i realized that just because you like the end result of something you like technology and i I know you do as well basil i i love tech and i love all the different products coming out the actual day-to-day grind uh, sucks it's it's a little too distanced from the end product and so just those harsh lessons coupled with not necessarily being able to completely engineer the the desired result is what I'm referring to there. It's funny you, you mentioned, I guess, my love for tech with, I mean, as you know, I've, <laughs> I've went everywhere from starting like a tech blog um, to I, you know, in college, I was so gung ho on being a engineer. I took like what an AP comp sci class Mm -hmm. you know once i got there i I, you know sitting in i guess the 200 level course or or 100 level course but the second semester of it or year and i'm just sitting there and i'm like man coding is really difficult and like you know like who like it's a very obvious realization but who would have thought but i realized in that moment that there's two choices i can either really buckle down and like prepare to go go on this grind and then get the job and all that. But looking at that, I was like, well, what kind of person does that take? And I realized like, and this might sound a cop out, but I realized that no, like that's not the identity I want to be. I think looking back on it now. And and so I was like, you know what? Looking at what I like, I like psychology. I love talking to people. I love figuring out what makes people tick. Um, And then even a little subset of that, is kind of marketing and, and just from that perspective. Um, and hence, I ended up, you know, switching my major to psychology at that point. And so it's, it's interesting when you, you know, tying that back into what you're talking about of this. Yeah, you, you might figure out a couple things that kind of just click for you. But more often than not, 
it's not going to be that way. Um, so that's really interesting that you say that. Wrapping up a couple questions that I want to get into and I hopefully will get into with everyone I talk to um, is really just your drives and motivations. So, I mean, one, you know, what kind of keeps you up at night? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, since since I've I've made this, I, I do sleep honestly really, really well. The uh, ch- shifting my perspective from this far off reaching goal, this this pole at the top of the mountain. Uh, the idea was that it was kind of like an evil Knievel jump where you are ramping up your motorcycle in order to, to jump across 30 cars and reach your goal. That's kind of what, how I initially imagined it. I want to be, let's say, CEO of a company. That is the end goal. And you know that you have what it takes to get there. But if you envision it like an evil Knievel jump where you have to jump over all of those cars all at once, it seems incredibly daunting and you do sort of doubt yourself. And so a fundamental shift that, that I've had, which sort is a, is a much larger topic, but it's the idea of living in the present and the idea that each individual moment, no matter how brutal or, or sad or, or happy, anything, uh, it's all just an instant and you can survive anything for just a minute. So the idea of shrinking down the, the time span of, of what drives you and, and what fears you have to just the present really evaporates a lot of these thoughts in our head because they are really just thoughts. And as we just discussed, a lot of our thoughts don't necessarily come to fruition. A lot of our worries never actually happen. So just shrinking down the time span that I'm concerned with has really freed me up. Yeah, that's, that's big. I, I have trouble with that, even though, I don't know, it's, it, for me, it's paradoxical because, because I, you know, I have ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, yeah. I am, I am very moment to moment focused, but at the same time, it's not in a way that I would deem necessarily productive. It's not like I'm focused on this one thing in the moment. It's like I'm focused on 20 different things over the span of 20 different seconds, you know? And so <laughs> like, oh, like, I got to do this and then this. Um, and so I'm, I guess what I found myself doing at least this year for the, the better part of the, of the year, I'm trying to focus on stuff in the moment, but also at the same time, give myself space to, switch around. And so that might mean three months I work on something here and there, and then another three months I work on something else or switching throughout my day. But then I'm saying, well, when I get down to the, to focusing on that task or on that project, I have to focus on that. And so I definitely see myself uh, next year removing a lot of barriers, but um, yeah, so that's just interesting that you, you talk about talk about that so right and what what sort of barriers or, or weights do you think you have on yourself right now oh on, on me um i really think it's just sitting down and not getting distracted by my own self um mm. really i think there's so many things that i have that i want to share with the world or i want to do for myself and prove it to myself that mm-hmm. i can easily get distracted and there's you know other stuff that isn't even internally motivated there's friends that you have to keep up with 
there's family that you, stuff that you have to, or not have to, but you get to enjoy and experience. And so it's just really like piecing all those puzzles together into one cohesive identity, making sure that you stick to that. Uh, so yeah, can I ask what motivates you? Do you have like one motivation for that? Do you have something that you're just like, you know, for me, my motivation, one of my biggest motivations is my mom. Um, so do you have like one like person or do you have one idea uh, besides like say that Eva Knievel uh, jump? Right, right. Yeah, there's a there's probably three things kind of in play here. Absolutely. I'm going to go instead of just my mom, I would say my family, which has been so incredibly successful across all of them that it's incredibly daunting to even think of matching their success, let alone surpassing it, uh, both in their communities, in their, in their job, in, in how they've cared for their families. So it took me a, a little bit as the youngest child to distance myself from any aspirations of doing it bigger or better than them. And then there's the idea that because of that, as a, uh, as a kid, my goal then became to have an incredible college experience when we when we think of like all the all the movies or like project x to have that wild wild crazy college experience to be the big man on campus and i i actually did have that happen because that was my goal and as we said before uh, i do believe that if you really dedicate your mind to things it, it can happen because other people don't necessarily share that exact precise goal and so what what I what I look to in the future is just instead of a very specific like I want to be CEO of a major company or something like that I just want to be great and that greatness has yet to be defined I have yet to decide where where that path to greatness will take me but I just will in every in every moment my motivation is not more not much of a motivation just more of a choice um, because I think sometimes we forget how powerful our choices are. Uh, I believe that there is always a kind of right path, a more right path uh, that you have the option to pick. And if you are always choosing that that more righteous path, then that is your motivation. That is how you improve yourself and what what inspires me to move forward. Versus, uh, whereas a lot of people would say my my uh, hero is me five years in the future. I, I've already kind of achieved my dream, which is in the past now. And so I have to live up not only to my family, but to who I have been as a person. And then while pursuing this idea of greatness in the future, all, all three of those kind of things fuel me forward. So, so a perfect trifecta. Hey. One of your goals you already kind of hit or one of your motivations rather in life. Right. Um, I will say, I don't know, my, thinking back to my college experience, I will definitely say it was wild. Uh, there's a lot of crazy things that happen, both good and bad, uh, that <laughs> affected right. my life. Where I'm you like, got to have both. Yeah, but, but at the end of the day, kind of how you were talking about earlier, uh, you chalk that up to experience and that becomes a learning opportunity. And so it's just, that's, that's really interesting that you kind of have you know, something that's motivated you through, you know, one part of your life. And now you have, you know, you still have things that are motivating you and then you have something that's going to motivate you throughout your whole life. And then you have something that in the second stage on life, kind of, I would call it, you're kind of like, this is going to fuel me for the next 25 years. Mm -hmm. I guess outside of that, 
just kind of from like a logistical standpoint, I'm really curious to hear kind of what you do that helps you maintain like a healthy lifestyle. I know I was talking to Ashley, you know, one of the things that really helps her is just forgiving herself. So I'm, I'm curious what you think. I really agree with Ashley. That was a fundamental switch from the nine month of not doing anything was absolutely. Yeah. Forgiving yourself is, is step one to, to moving forward. And that's, not something that, that people talk o- about a lot is the idea of you have to forgive yourself. No one else can do it for you. It has to come from within. So I'm really glad that she touched on that. But on a more surface level, if I could impart two things to the average listener, it would be to don't forget your sunshine. Uh, I try to get uh, at, at least an hour of sunshine a week. And I know that's tough for y'all up in the Northeast. But studies have shown that that lack of vitamin D, which is generated through sunshine, absorbing sunshine into the skin, leads to uh, mental health disorders. It's it's just a direct link. And uh, I know just looking at myself that when I don't have sunshine, that I'm I'm not not as happy. And I do believe that some people who have had serious mental breakdowns has been because you know one thing leads to another, and they just haven't gone outside for for weeks or months. And so I would say definitely try and get your sunshine. And then the second one would be to drink more water. Water is just essential. It's an underrated replacement for caffeine drinks. It's truly awesome. And you can never really have enough water. I will say actually is one of the biggest changes that I've made probably after college. Um, Just being in the workforce now, I keep my water right by my desk. And so uh, usually I do, I have like 18 ounce bottles, so I try and get th- to three. Um, and mm-hmm. I can definitely tell you the days that I don't have that third bottle or even that second bottle, I do notice myself, my attention goes a little bit. I'm quicker to, you know, just my mood is, is a little off. I can tell it's right. weird because like with water, you wouldn't think that, you know, like how it really influences your body and, and how you feel. But It's yeah. such a forgettable thing. And I agree with your point on sunshine. That's uh, when you said that first, I thought you were going with like a metaphorical sense, like don't forget your sunshine. <laughs> but I think, I think actual, quite literal. <laughs> that is good. Cause I think I, I especially going from Florida back up to Philly, that was one of the things that when winter hit, especially around exam time and everything, that was a couple years. It was a very not, save time for me uh, mentally. Mm. Um, I know a couple other people that went through a lot of the different things. So yeah, I think that's, that's something that people, especially going from uh, sunny areas or places where more tropical um, and climate, they forget. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah. But um, I mean, is there one last piece of advice that you can leave with you know, listeners that we might not have touched on that you just want to say, hey, um, if you're listening out there, there's this. One, one, one last kind of piece I would like to touch on is that if you are kind of feeling pessimistic about life and everyone has different reasons to come to that conclusion and not see it as a glass half full kind of situation, I, I, I kind of agree with them. And so what that forces you to do is that says that because it is so harsh and, and kind of unforgiving and cold, 
that forces you to shift your perspective and realize that everything that is good in the world is actually great. It's, it's something to be cherished and protected. And so while you can feel negative about a lot of things in general, you need to recognize that and, and really protect and, and nurture the things that, that are good because they are truly, truly special. That is really impressive that you, you think that way. So I, yeah, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless. Sorry. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like to me that what you're saying really is to embrace that viewpoint because then it helps you really appreciate all that you have or all that you enjoy in this life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it just takes you to, to recognize the bottom. Yeah. So once, once you realize that you're, past your bottom and I think everyone has a good way hopefully you make it out of your bottom but everyone can uh, sort of identify that afterwards then then you realize what everything else that's in front of you as you just said you appreciate it a lot more that I feel like that's a that's a great place to to stop and end on so you know Tyler I really do appreciate you coming and just being on the show you know really appreciate your insights on life I'm glad you're at a company now that's you know publicly traded so I, I maybe i don't think you're allowed to i guess help me with stock options and stuff like that <laughs> but i i will definitely uh, be tracking progress and whatnot so thank you again see you around and yeah thanks for being on the show thanks Bass. appreciate it and that's the show i hope you enjoyed it Please let me know what you think by leaving a review and do make sure to leave a rating as this will help other listeners find this podcast. I really appreciate everyone out there who's interested in living their best life and not necessarily the good life. Until next time, live, laugh, and learn.